Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back to the Balanced Lawn Podcast, Soul on Fire. I'm your host, Jordan Younger, and today we have a best of the show episode for you guys. So excuse me if my audio sounds a little bit different. I'm using a different microphone. I'm in Palm Springs and I'm making do with what they have. And I'm so grateful that they even had a microphone because I forgot to pack mine. So I wanted to welcome you guys to the final episode of 2020 on the Balanced Lawn Podcast. How wild is that? This year has both flown by and felt like it has lasted a million years all in one. I think we can all agree. And yeah, it's wild. So happy holidays from my heart to yours. No matter what your holidays look like this year, they're definitely different for us in my family. Jonathan and I are doing something, just the two of us. At the time of recording this, I don't even know what that's going to be yet. So stay tuned on Instagram to see where we end up. And we are sending so much love to each and every one of you. Thank you for being a part of my life this year, my soul, my family, my tribe. You guys are all of that and more. And if this is your first time listening, then welcome. This is a good episode to start with because this is a best of the show episode where I have gathered four of the most downloaded episodes of 2020. Also for my personal favorites. And I have pulled some conversation from each of those episodes. So I hope you guys enjoy. I have a feeling you will because these are some special guests with some special messages to share with all of us. As I always say, whenever I re-release a previously published episode, if you've already heard the episode, definitely give yourself space to hear it again at a different time in your life. We are all changing and evolving every single day. So these episodes and these conversations, they might strike you differently and that might feel really good. And if you have not heard any of these yet, then I know you'll love. We will leave the links in the show notes to the full episode so that you can go listen to the full conversation since I have a feeling just a taste will probably leave you wanting more. It definitely did for me when I was putting these together. So the guests in today's best of the show episode are Melissa Wood of Melissa Wood Health. We recorded this in February in New York, pre-COVID. 
So quite different times, and it was such a fun, enlightening conversation. We got really close during this interview. I watched her face shape shift. It was awesome. So I can't wait for you guys to hear a part of that conversation. We have the medical medium, Anthony William, who for many obvious reasons has changed my life and millions of lives. Can't wait to share a part of one of our conversations here because we had two this year, which was so cool. And then also my dear friend, Shaman Durek, we talk about racism and wellness and some of the things that he's experienced in his life as a black man in the wellness industry. And he's such a powerful shaman. He's amazing. So excited to share more of this conversation. And then my dear friend, also Jesse Golden, who talks about her journey with rheumatoid arthritis, healing, manifesting, keeping a positive, optimistic mindset. She's such a goddess. So I know you guys will love this little compilation that we have for you. And before we dive into today's episode, I would love to thank our sponsor, Life Seasons. So everybody has been asking me all year and also for the last many years, what supplements do I recommend? What do I actually take in my daily life? What brands are trustworthy on and on? So I'm obsessed with life seasons for so many reasons. And first of all, I want you to know that you can use the code BLONDE, B-L-O-N-D-E for a discount and that will get you some savings on their fabulous, fabulous products. Some of their products that I love the most are their anti-inflammatory supplement, which is called Inflamma X. It has turmeric in it, boswellian, tart cherry, and it has enzymes in it. So it will also help you digest. It has been such a game changer for my health. I also love their immunity supplements, which I think everybody could benefit from right now. They have a glucose stabilization supplement. They have them for IBS, for mood, for sleep, for metabolism. My dad takes the prostate one and he has really enjoyed it. So overall, our whole family is such a fan. And what I love the most about Life Seasons is that their mission aligns so much with my mission at The Balanced Blonde, which is to bring everything back to nature and combine the infinite otherworldly wisdom of nature with the progress of science to make our bodies feel better and to live on the foundation of good health that empowers each and every one of us to live life to the fullest. So you can find Life Seasons online and use that code BLONDE on their website. The link is in the show notes. And you can also find them at Whole Foods, Erewhon, Natural Grocers, Sprouts, and other major national health food stores throughout the nation. So check them out. Fall in love. I know you guys will love them. Happy end of the year. Happy holidays. And let's head into this episode with four of the guests that I just love so much. So I grew up in Syracuse, New York, upstate New York, and I am one of six siblings. I have four sisters. Wow. Yes. My parents, my mom and my dad had five girls. And then my father, when my parents divorced, remarried and had my brother. So there's six of us. So there's a lot of kids. I grew up in, my parents got divorced when I was really young, seven, seven, eight. And it's really... You know, it's so funny because as we were just talking about therapy, 
when I sit with my therapist and I talk about the things that are so important to me, like having dinner with my family, I don't remember a time in my life of ever sitting at the table with my parents. Like I don't remember happy times with them together. I remember one time where like we were all in my mom's room and like my mom and my dad were laughing and that's the gist of like the happiness level with my parents. And you know, it's, it's unfortunate, but I, it's really shaped who I am. And I think coming from a broken, very dysfunctional home, I, I, I really built up this layer of just survival. You know, my mom worked three jobs, wasn't around my dad. We saw every other weekend and I was alone a lot and I was with my sisters a lot. And I just, I've always had that leader in me where it was really important for me. Like I was, my sisters hated me growing up. Like I was like, I had a chore list. I was like made us sit down for dinner. I was like a mini mom Yeah, at a very young age. I mean, I felt like I was a mother. Mm -hmm. I, I, to this day, like I'm, I'm trying to work on shaping new habits with like reminding myself that I'm not their mother. Like I still get, like, I feel like sometimes I'm my mom's mother. Like it's, you know. Are your sisters older than you or are you in the middle? I have, I'm in the middle. I'm too older, too younger. And I don't, I think structure was, I craved it. I craved structure and the fact that I didn't have any, I really gravitated towards people in my life who had that element. So my best friend still to this day, um, Crystal Godwin, she goes by Chrissy now, but she, what we were inseparable. Like we slept at each other's house every single night. Like I typically stayed at her house and I just, I loved that they had family dinner and, you know, it was her mom, her dad, her brother. And I I always wanted that. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I think I carried around a lot of sadness as a kid because my parents weren't around and they weren't checking on my homework and, you know, all of the things kids don't want, I wanted. (laughs) I wanted, I wanted them to come to my games and it's, um, you know, I think it's, it's made me the mother that I am. Like I am every single thing I've ever wanted. And my mom is, amazing. I have an amazing relationship with my parents. I've worked really hard at it and I I forgive them. And I I know that they did the absolute best with the the card they were handed. And I mean, I feel like whether you have a good childhood, bad childhood, it shapes us, right? In some way. And we carry so much of the weight with us. And it definitely followed me when I moved to New York. (laughs) And that Mm -hmm. was kind of when everything change. Yeah. Which we will definitely get into. Yeah. And I've heard you talk openly about struggling with food and mm. controlling food. And I've totally been there as yep. well. So I can relate on many levels and a lot of people listening too, just knowing my audience. So I would love for you to get into what it was like when you yeah. moved to New York and, and, um, started kind of confronting all these things that you had been dealing with. Yeah. So it was when I, I moved to New York on my own. I drove to, I drove a U-Haul with a girl who was moving here and the U-Haul broke down. It was like, I like look back, I'm like, how the hell did this young girl, like, how did I do it? And, you know, I, I like look who I am today and I'm like, no, I've always had this in me. Like I've always known there was something bigger than me kind of carrying me. And, and, and I mean, that's the only way that I moved to New York. It's like, I came here on a weekend trip with a friend and 
got a job that weekend. Like I'd never been to New York. That's that was so like cool. learning how to go from Fifth Avenue back to First. And then, you know, it was right. like learning all this. What was the job? The avenues. Um, I worked at Bloomingdale's at the Chanel counter. Oh, cool. And I was currently doing that in Syracuse mm-hmm. at the, it was Filene's before Macy's bought Filene's. And I was working at the Chanel counter, which... Yeah, I was like, I can't believe this. Like, I got a job. And I had a very serious boyfriend back home who was my first love. And I went home and I was like, I got a job. And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, I'm moving in two weeks. And it was very like, I put such a wall up because I knew if I even opened the opportunity of him coming, I knew he wasn't coming. And I just, it was my, it was my, um, time to like spread my wings and to just do it. You know, I, I, I'd always wanted to model because that's what I connected to as a young girl. It's, you know, people would always say, you're so beautiful. You look just like your mother. You should be a model. And I was like, that's where self-acceptance is. Like I Mm -hmm. should be a model. Of course. Like then I'll, everyone will know I'm good enough because I'm bracing the covers of magazines. Although like I thought that's what happened when you started modeling. That doesn't really happen guys. (laughs) (laughs) I had my one cover and it turned into a, like, I was like in the weeds in the book and it was about like the size of a post, like a, um, a stamp. Oh my God. Like, For what like, magazine? Oh my God. What was, it was like a threads magazine, but mm-hmm. like I was supposed to get the cover and apparently I didn't make the cut. Oh my God. <laughs> so funny. It's so yeah, true. The way that we glamorize things that oh. we oh, do believe we? are like going to be the epitome of our happiness. Oh yeah. I mean, so I think, you know, moving to New York on my own and then, living in this small apartment. I had a mattress on the floor for a very long time. There were mice in my walls and it was like, this was it. This was home. There was, I didn't have money to move anywhere else. And at night when I would close that door, it was like smaller than the bathroom here. I, it all, it was like waves just hit me. Like everything that I had pushed so far down was starting to surface. And I did not want to feel that because it was, it was trauma. It was all of the things that I wanted to forget and get rid of. And it, it, it was, you know, that, that time of moving here, coming face to face with the reality of, of everything that I was um, really trying to make disappear in my life. Yeah. And how old were you at that time? I was 22 when I moved to New York. Yeah, so, so that's young. young. So young. To be dealing with so much. I moved here with $10,000. It was like, I remember I, I was bartending. I was working as, I was working at the Chanel counter and I was working at an auto supply company. I was like, uh, I was a natural born hustler. Mm-hmm. So I knew I was saving for something and then, you know, getting here and working at the counter. But being approached by people like you should, meet agents. Like you should go into modeling agencies. And I was like, okay. Like, I mean, the outfits I went in there with, I still like, I'm like cringing, even thinking about going into like elite and Ford the way that I I didn't know, you know, I was like decked out. And you know, in the modeling world, you kind of just walk in as you are, you Mm -hmm. don't, (laughs) but the small town girl in me, I had no idea. Exactly. And it was just rejection after rejection. And, and then seeing girls who were models was a, a immediate trigger for me because I was like, oh, that's how I should be. 
that's the size I should be to be Mm -hmm. accepted, to be able to live this life that I want. And, you know, I would say the combination of starting to allow myself to feel a little bit or not really wanting to, but it was coming up and wanting to break into that world is when I started picking up these horrible habits of going on these crazy binges. They were very extreme. And then I was very extreme on the other end the next day. So it was just a combination of like filling myself up to the point where I couldn't fill myself up self up anymore where I had to release it and then punishing myself for days on end and really being horrible to myself and restricting like crazy. And it was this vicious, vicious cycle of of living that life for a, for a handful of years. And you can't live that way. And plus, like, it was a complete secret. Like, no one in my life knew. So not only was I holding in these feelings of things I needed to feel and just process as, like, a young girl, um, I was... I was living a lie. I was lying. I was like, I became like a professional liar. And I lied about the dumbest things too. It was like where I didn't want people to know that I like was at that pizza place. It was like right. weird lies. And I would do anything to cover my trap, my tracks to really hold this image of perfection. I just wanted to look the part. I wanted to be this, this model. And I, you know, I think I was so, my mind was, was just so attached to that, that, um, it was, I was going down, I was spiraling. And so for how long was life like that for you? It was a good five years, I think, before I hit the breaking point of, of like, this is going to end really bad. That's a long time. It's a long time. To live time. that way. And it's, I say five years of like actually suffering with bulimia. Mm-hmm. And then I would say probably several more years of restricting right. and having a body dysmorphia and just a horrible relationship with self. So did you have like a turning point moment where you just knew... I can't do this anymore. I need to change. Yes, I absolutely did. Thank God. And I'm so grateful for for that day because I had gone out the night before, was like partying with friends, got wasted, uh, binge ate like crazy. Um, The night before was, you know, getting rid of everything that I possibly could and then woke up the next day still trying to get rid of everything because I felt horrible. I had so much shame. And I just was like on my, I just couldn't do it anymore. It was like nothing would come out. I was so empty and I felt just, I felt disgusting. I felt so little and small and I I hated myself. And I knew it was either, it was going one of two ways. It was like, I was just going to keep going full force and just do everything. Or I, I, I knew I wanted I wanted to live a life of real happiness. And I didn't know what that was, but I knew that it's, it was possible. And that was it. I, I called my friend. I was like, I need your therapist. I need to see a therapist. I really need to talk to someone. And like, I think right there, like just the consciousness of knowing that I needed 
help, right? Like that awareness in itself. Yeah, that's like, huge. That was, so that awareness in itself was honestly just the biggest game changer and life-changing moment in my life. I think, you know, there's so many people in my life now who I would love for them to have that realization that they need help, but you can want to help every single person. But until you have that inner guide really tell you it's time, you're never going to do it. Absolutely. And had anybody told you up until that point that they were worried about you? No one knew that I had an eating disorder, but I had a girl who I cocktail waitressed with. At this time, when things were spiral, I was cocktail waitressing. Um, I was, I had tried Adderall. It was like I was in that like experimental, experimental phase where you know, things were all, the highs were high, the lows were low. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what else? Like, what should we try? But thankfully, like I caught it right at the time where before I, like I said, things could have quickly spiraled. Um, But what was the question? (laughs) Oh, if anyone had expressed (laughs) their worry. This is important. So I had a girl call me after a night out. It's so funny. Like, I'll never forget this moment. And she said, Melissa, And I was like, yeah. She's like, you are a completely different person when you drink and when you don't drink. And I was like, what? Like, what do you mean? She's like, I think you have a drinking problem. And I never saw that. I was, I was, I was actually really open to her calling me because when someone calls you to say something like that, it really stops you dead in your tracks. And I just said, she said, you know, you were, you were like going to get in a fist fight with a homeless person. And uh, like the way you were behaving, you were like outrageous. And I, I, I like took it and I listened and I, I said, thank you. And that changed everything for me. I, I was like, I really sat with it. And I, I think a lot of the time I wouldn't black out, but I would like, just going to say it. I would like make out with girls. I would do anything for attention. I would, it it was like, I was an extremist, you know, Mm -hmm. and it was not cute. I was really sloppy. I had horrible hangovers and it was just, I, I would live this life of like being like high and hungover on the weekends. It was like getting lit up, drinking my face off and spending the weekend miserable for a long time. But I thought that was normal. I think most 20-somethings believe that, right? And I know you recently shared that you haven't, you haven't drank in a year. Yeah, exactly. And I haven't drank in four months. Uh, And it was like this, it was the craziest thing because I don't, I do not have a bad relationship to alcohol now. Thank Mm -hmm. God. I just really got to the place where I'm like, I don't need this thing that I once believed I needed to have in order to be in these social settings. I'm, I'm having the most fun in my life that I've ever had. And I, I love how beautifully you've shared it. And I couldn't relate more. It's so fun. I and love, I also have, I have no idea where this is going. Like, I don't know mm-hmm. if I'm sober. I don't know if I am sober curious, but I'm like, sober I'm just curious. being with this. I love that. I was so excited when I saw you share that because... Thank you. I, yeah... Similar to you, I don't have a bad relationship with alcohol, but I realized the only time that I really drank was in social situations where other people were drinking and wanted me to drink to just be part of the whole experience. And this is kind of how it was for years for me. And then 
when I got sick with Lyme, yep. and just had a very difficult couple of years. It just felt like, why would I put something in my body that's not medicinal at all? It's yeah. actually the opposite. Yes. Um, if I'm working so hard to just do everything right and just treat my body with such care. Yep. So that's what kind of made me decide I'm not going to drink like five times a year as I had been at weddings and the different things. Yeah. I'm just not going to do it. So I didn't even drink at my wedding. I know. Um, I love which was that. so awesome. I and love it. I was drunk on life. I did I, not need. No, I get hungover. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so hungover. No, I get I get like happy hungover. It's yeah. so weird. No, it's a happiness hangover. And from being I get a happiness out hang- and hangover. dancing and being with people who are drinking, you can be hungover. No, I, I agree. I, and you get high off the vibes. Like, yes, but it's like yes. an energy that you bring no matter where you are. Absolutely. And I, I, it literally came to me right before I was launching the, the new website and the app. I was like, I need to just, I need to clear my mind. I need to really... Um, just breathe in and bring in all of the things that just elevate me. And after every meditation, I would have that little voice and it was like, you don't need, don't drink. You don't, yeah. you don't need to drink. You just do it half the time to appease the company you're with or mm-hmm. to make everyone else feel comfortable. And it was like, we are not in this work to make people comfortable. We're, exactly. we're here to keep, make people very real and to raw and honest up. with themselves. So just try it. And I was like, okay. <laughs> it was like, I would have I these conversations that. in my closet with this. I'm serious. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to try it. With your intuition, with your my higher guide, self. A Absolutely. I love that so much. Yeah. I'm with you. I had such, such thoughts in my head about you can't stop drinking. It might make other people uncomfortable, which is yeah. so sad to look back on because what about me? I was the uncomfortable one. I was the one doing something that I didn't want to do, waking up not feeling good because yeah. I just became so sensitive to it as well. Oh my God, me that too. even half of a vodka soda, I would be so hungover with the worst headache. Yep. And I had someone tell me one time, someone who I was friends with in college who I kind of dated, you can't trust someone. You can never trust someone who doesn't drink alcohol. And it stuck with me. And so I had always thought like, I don't want to be that kind of person. And right. how funny is that? Because it's like, it's not that it's the opposite. Obvi- obviously you can be anything, but it, it kind of is. And kind of is. So to shed those layers of like what other people thought, and this was someone I held very highly in my head. So right. to shed all those layers I has mean, been so powerful. And it is, it's like, I feel liberated. And and not to mention my husband is the king of nightlife here. I know. And he's been so sweet and supportive because obviously I'm, I love going out. I love going out and dancing and having amazing nights with him and that it doesn't change anything, you know? And I think, you know, I'm like here, is this bad for his business? And I thought about that, right? but I don't think it is. I think I'm not, telling people not to drink. I, this is just something that feels very right for me. And I, I'm not like, keep drinking. I'm having so I much think, fun with you. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's actually so inspiring people to see that they can go out to a club and dance and have fun without alcohol it's, and still enjoy I that whole more scene. Fun, you guys. Yeah. Like, I'm not so kidding. Fun. I have more fun. I'm so in tune with what makes me happy that yes. it's like, I know that I enjoy that. And it's just, it's a whole new level of high. 
That makes me so happy. Isn't it? Yeah. So for people who don't know, can you share a little bit about your husband and what he does? Sure. So that I actually met my husband as I, when I was working as a cocktail waitress at Marquee. Uh, I had a boyfriend, a very serious boyfriend at the time. He had a girlfriend. So when I was working for him and, and I was his cocktail waitress, I always waited on him. Kind of makes sense now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's like, I'll have Melissa tonight. <laughs> So nice. Um, yeah, it's amazing because it, as we were talking when I first came in, I, I never in a million years would have ever thought that Noah would be my husband and we would have a beautiful family together. I never saw him that way. I saw him as a club owner who was always with a ton of beautiful models, who was out all the time, who drank a lot. I was not attracted to him in any way, shape, and form because it I never saw it. I, it was he was my boss. And then when I stopped working at Marquee and we were both single at this point, uh, he's very good friends with one of my best friends. And we started spending more time together. He invited us on a trip to Ibiza one summer with like 30 other girls. And I was like, yes, like let's go. Why, why would we not go? This is we're gonna have the time of our life, as I did. And I I was seeing someone at the time when I went on that trip and he broke up with me because I went on that trip. But I oh was like, I, I said to him, I'm like, I would never date Noah. But I truly at that time wouldn't have. Like yeah. there was nothing there. And the more that I spent time with him, the more I saw him for who he really is. Not this whole facade of this club owner and always with supermodels and beautiful women. Like that was, that was his, something he did for a living, but that was the furthest thing from who he was as a person. And I Every time I was with him and we started to really get to know each other as friends and we would talk for hours and Noah's not someone who doesn't look at his phone often and he wouldn't look at his phone for like three hours. And every time I left him, I would have this feeling of like, I just like that man. I like the way I feel when I'm with him. But my ego was so massive at the time and I was like, no way. I will never date him. He's been with a lot of people I know. He's in this nightlife world. Um, my ex knew him. I was like, no, like right. I can't do that. It's not right. And my friends knew him. And what would they think? I was so caught up on what everyone would think. And then we, you know, he was very strategic. Very strategic. He has he has a he had a business called Strategic Group. So there is a reason. <laughs> Super yes. strategic. And he was very cool about um, his pers- like being persistent with me. Like it was, it wasn't annoying. It was cool. And I would fight it, fight it, fight it. And then I'd end up like leaning into, you know, spending time with him and like groups. And I just, it was like, I couldn't, I couldn't shake the way that I felt. And I remember when I told my girlfriends for the first time and they were kind of like, what? Like you can't date Noah. And I was like, well, I'm going to. And I remember that I was like in my girlfriend's bedroom and it was like me and my cocktail waitress friends and they Mm -hmm. were kind of like, you know, a deer in headlights. Like, you're going to date Noah. It was like, it was weird. Right. All of my friends knew him, right? Right. So once I... Which is actually very cool. It is now. On the flip side. Yeah, exactly. Like at my birthday dinner, it's all 
still to this day, it's like all of my girlfriends that I met cocktail waitressing, all of my, you know, best girlfriends. And there's not a single girl at the table who doesn't know Noah. Yeah. Or like have their own relationship with Noah. And he's just the greatest man. He is, he's so solid. He's just, you know, I think coming from a background of like craving a structure in my life, like he's really taught me and shown me um, what it is to really show up for people that you love. And like, no matter what, just like always be there regardless of like how busy he is. And, you know, he's, I don't know how he does it. I'm like 30 plus businesses and thousands of employees. Like, I'm like, how do you do it? I have two full-time employees and my mind is blown. And he just does it. And he's just built that way. But the most important thing I think for me is like, if, if I need him, he's there. And that's, that's, there's nothing more important than that. That's so special. I was telling you before we started recording that our last episode together was the most popular episode on the podcast of all time. So I'm excited to bring you back for more. You are a dear friend, someone I trust wholeheartedly and love so, so much. So thank you for being here and welcome back. Well, it's it's amazing to be here. I'm honored really. And your listeners are the best. And I'm just I'm just happy to be here. It's so great. Okay, the first question I want to ask you before we get into all the details of Cleanse to Heal, your new book, is a little bit about coronavirus. People sent in questions for you. Everyone wants to know your stance on corona. What do we have to be fearful of? Is everything going to be okay? And how can we protect ourselves from getting sick? Well, there's always going to be something we're up against. All the years have been preparing people to get their bodies stronger. And that's the key, you know, having tools, making sure immune systems are stronger. It's always been about that because if we're concerned about viruses, if we're concerned about that kind of thing, well, that's the whole, that's the whole basis of why everybody's sick to begin with. Millions of chronically ill people for years and decades sick with multiple sclerosis and severe fibromyalgia and eczema and psoriasis and rheumatoid arthritis and the list of lupus and the list goes on. It, we, we're dealing with viruses anyway, keeping people chronically ill, breaking them down, beating them down. And so it's always been about, you know, let's come out of that. Let's get stronger. Let's have our immune systems where they need to be because we're up against so much. And, and then we, we can take control and we can feel like, you know, empowered. So then when something that's, you know, that something comes around, like we're up against something else that wait, wait a minute here, wait a minute, I'm empowered. I've been taking control of my health. I've been t- taking control of my life. And so there's a new virus out. It's like, no, I've been, I've been working hard on it. I'm getting myself where I need to be. And I need to be you know, and and so it's always been like. I mean, there's there's hundreds of viruses out there that affect people in their lives day to day. It it right. leads them to being bedridden, and that's the thing. Like multiple sclerosis, that's viral, and and how many people are bedridden because of it or in wheelchairs because of it? 
And exactly. yeah, and lupus is viral. You know, they, they, research and science doesn't know that. That's, that's medical medium information, of course. It's been that for years and years before anything was published about anything being viral. It's always been medical medium information. And, and the thing is, is, you know, it's, it's really hurt a lot of people. Viruses have really hurt a lot of people. We're, we're talking decades of chronic illness. People being swept under the carpet, pushed aside, kicked aside, not listened to, not heard. And so really what it is, is let's just get ourselves stronger. Let's get our immune systems back. Let's, let's always be prepared. And that's how, I, that's how I look at everything. So what I've been wondering about with the coronavirus is how similar is it to these other viruses like Epstein-Barr and Lyme and lupus and everything that you've been mentioning in that those viruses get so serious, they can keep us bedridden and last in our system in a very long-term kind of way. Is that something we should be worried about with the coronavirus or is this something that isn't so worrisome? I would love your insight on that. Well, you know, it's... It's about lowering our immune systems. And that's, that's, that's the thing is, you know, we get hit with anything. When we get hit with anything, our immune systems get lower. And then we're susceptible to more things. We're susceptible to more problems. And that's another thing to just be, you know, to be open-minded about what happens when you have the Epstein bars and you're dealing with all the different viruses that are out there, the HHV6 and the shingles viruses and, the uh, HHV7 and undiscovered ver- versions and strains and, and mutations of all this. And we're already up against all this as it is. And then we get anything that any kind of flu virus, any kind of flu virus can just knock us back. And that's something I've always said for years. It's like, I've seen people struggling, seen people with all the different conditions and symptoms with lupus or any any kind of condition or bad fibromyalgia or severe chronic fatigue syndrome. And then they get a bad flu virus. And it could have a name. It could have any name to it. You know, I remember back in the late 80s, there was the Russian flu. And then, you know, there's there, I remember so many different flus, you know, and there's different, you know, they, they name flus the, the strangest names or forever what reason. And then, you know, and then there was other flus that, and then there was the H1N1, right? It was the whole thing, oh, yeah. the swine flu. It's like, they, name, yeah, they come up, you know, we, we, you know, when there's a new bug around and, you know, it could knock us back. It could knock our immune system down. And we've always been up against this throughout the years that we can get our immune system knocked back. And, and, and that's, and that's why I'm just like, wait a minute here. You know, we, and we're, when we're dealing with already, we're dealing with all these other viruses and bacteria. And bacteria, and we're dealing with all these other environmental causes, environmental issues. We're dealing with the toxic heavy metals, and you know. So when something's going around, like you know, anything, we, yeah, it's just about we can do something about this. We can take control over our health so that we have the right tools, get our immune system really strong, and and that's how I look at it, really. Well, I love that. That's very empowering to hear that we can take our health into our own hands as long as we keep our immune system functioning nice and well. So I know you talk a lot about that in your new book. What would be some of your top immune boosting tips and tricks for all of us who are looking to do that, especially right now with everything going on in the world? That's what it is. It's what can I do to keep that immune system strong. And, and, you know, and I lay that out in the books and, I, and I've always have. And Cleanse to Heal, I especially lay that out. Yes, like I really, definitely. really you know, have that 
there in somebody's hands. So, you know, they're not stuck. And I really talk about the immune system, really talk about, I talk about the medical medium vitamin C shock therapy and the medical medium zinc shock therapy. And I even have flu dosages with supplements where the dosages for flu and, and, and the, the right supplements for flu and cleansing to get the poisons out that keep our immune system down because everybody's walking around with the mercury and the aluminum and the, and, and the copper and all the different toxic poisons and you know, toxins and poisons. We're doing the scented candles, which scented candles are disastrous for immune systems. Yeah, and, that's unless they're natural. Yeah. yeah, they have to be natural, naturally scented, like really natural, like maybe an essential oil candle or something. But anything that's you know not natural like that, like the plug-in fresheners, and the colognes, colognes knock the immune system down really low. Wow. And perfumes knock the immune system down really low. And so we're always up against all of this cologne, all of this conventional perfume. And this isn't just like a little, a little scented, you know, essential oil that we have on us. It's these colognes and perfumes are really hard on our immune systems. I talk about that in the book. And, you know, like I said, in the Santa candles, and then we're up against, you know, all the conventional, uh, we're up against the pesticides and the herbicides that are everybody spraying and on, you know, on people's front lawns and around apartment buildings and in streets. And we have all the different pesticides, the herbicides, then we have the toxic heavy metals we're up against. And I go in really detail about this and where we're pumping our own gas. When we pump our own oh, yeah. gas, what that does, we're breathing in those gas fumes. Nobody pumped their gas years ago. Like, I'm not trying to date myself or anything, but going back, you, you, no one pumped their own gas going right. back. That's something it, it, I always think about. Like, when I am pumping my own gas, I think this cannot be good for me to be breathing in these fumes. It's so strong smelling and. My body feels so sensitive to it. It goes instantly, it goes into the liver. So as you're pumping the gas and you're getting that downwind of that of the fumes coming right out of there, right into the liver, that minute it goes, it touches the skin, those fumes, it instantly enters the liver because that stuff is a solvent. And gasoline is a solvent. And I talk about that. And and all these solvents and all these different chemical compounds that are toxic to us, feed all the bugs we all walk around with. Because the people walk around bugs, I mean, that's the whole thing. And we end up feeding these bugs and our immune system just lowers more and our liver gets more stagnant and sluggish more and more. And you know, having tools to build it up and that I have in the book, like I've never gone this far with a medical medium book I mean, I have doctors telling me every day, like, look, we, we keep your medical medium books in our, in our internal medicine practice and MDs keep a lot of medical medium books across the country in their practices. There's thousands of doctors now that use them as reference guides. And what I'm hearing now is we've never had anything so detailed ever before in any health book that's ever been created or any health book that's ever been out there. It's the most comprehensive health book in our time. And there may not be anything more comprehensive unless I put something else past this. And that's how intense it is where I do dosages and supplements. And I talk about the causes of almost 200 different symptoms and conditions. It's like holding somebody's hand through their healing process. It's seriously like an encyclopedia. I have it here in front of me. It's incredible. 
And I'm curious because it is so comprehensive. I have two questions specifically about writing it. Number one, how long did it take you to write? And number two, what is your process of writing your books? Well, Spirit of Compassion speaks every word to me. And then I have to write it down because I'm not a smart guy. And I've always said that. And again, I'm not educated. So that's another thing too. I've never been to, I never went to university. I never went to college. (laughs) You don't really need it. You have the education and spirit of compassion every single day. I never took a nutritional course. I never took any course ever with with natural health or any kind of health. Never done any of that. And all the information that's in the medical medium books and cleanse to heal never was out there before. And and what happens is that you know I have to write the words down as I hear it. It's a process, and it turns out to be a stack of paper and really high. And then I have to type it into the computer word for word. And so you write it and down with a pen first. Write it down with a pen. And it's a brutal process. And, and then, I mean, I still have to learn it. I still have to learn it. I'm hearing it and writing it word for word. And it could take a long time. I mean, if I do it every day, 16, 18 hours a day, like I did Cleanse to Heal, then it's a process that, that took almost a year. And, um, and it's funny because... This book is so heavy too. I mean, actually, when I first got it, yeah, I first got it. I was like, "Oh my god, what is this thing? Ten pounds? I don't know what this." It was crazy, and and then I realized how much I really put into it. It was just, oh my god. No, you should be very proud of yourself. It's incredibly comprehensive. I can't believe how many hours a day you were able to work on it. You have an incredible work ethic. And well, I you know what? You know what? Sleep very much. <laughs> I'm honored you even think so. You know what happened is, I would do it until I would practically pass out. Then I would end up on my office floor, uh-huh. laying there. I'd fall asleep on my office floor, like curled up in this little oh pillow. My God. And then when I would wake up, spirit of compassion would be like, "You ready to go again?" <laughs> wow. So spirit of compassion was your writing coach. They were ready to get this out there. It was it was one of those things where we need this out more than ever. People are so sick, and and it's not just it's not just that you know that the the threat of what we're up against now that's changed the whole country and the whole world right now. It's it's I mean in the United States alone, two hundred and fifty million Americans have a symptom that they don't have a real answer to. Right. I mean, even acne, there's no answer to. It leaves people completely baffled. And that's yeah. the whole thing. And so when there's no answers, the guessing games happen. And now we're playing guessing games and we can play them for years and years. And we can have bloating and then acne and then fatigue. And then it goes on and on and tingles and numbness and dizziness and eye floaters and tinnitus and ringing in the ears and eczema and psoriasis with no answers, with no answers. Yeah. And you know, in, in the medical meeting books were about, wait a minute, we have answers for the first time. It's not a guessing game that the alternative medicine world plays and the conventional world plays. And and Jordan, one of the craziest things and I've ever seen is the conventional system doesn't have an answer for all the chronic illness, symptoms, and conditions. And then the alternative industry 
actually, they don't have an answer either because in the end, they go to default and they go right to the conventional wisdom, which is it's your body attacking itself or it's your genes or it's your hormones, which was a game all from the 1950s. It was to put women in their place. That was a disempowerment move that happened from the conventional system was Mm -hmm. to blame everything on your hormones, which that was literally purposely there to disempower women starting in 1950. And we carry that same thought process today. And, and it's unbelievable how we're, we're just completely disempowered with, this, with this, this old grandfathered man law. That's what it is. It's an old grandfathered man law that keeps women down to this day where if you're, if you're playing with your different alternative remedies and you're not better yet, then it's it falls right into the, the pathway of, oh, it's your body you know causing it. And when women flooded into doctor's offices in the 1950s with hot flashes and tingles and numbness and fatigue and heart palpitations, they were told it was hormones. That was the answer. And then as years went on where women got sicker and sicker, then they were told it was their body attacking itself, but it was all rigged up to sell hormones. It was all a game. So here's the problem with alternative medicine. They all still defaulted right to hormones. They're going right back to that old 1950s thing that kept women down, that told them they were crazy. It said because they were a female, because they had hormones and that's why they're sick. It's been an insult since then. It's insulting women. It's, it's, it's unbelievable what the industries do. And alternative industry, as much as I love it, as much as it offers so many great things, it's, it's still back in time. It's still back to no answers in the end. And you know what? I think probably some people in your audience probably realize this too. When you're sick long enough, and it's not just some bloating or a little bit of acne, and you're going to doctor, and di- which is terrible to even have that. And when you go to, to the doctors, and then you go to a specialist and to a neurologist, and now you have anxiety... And now you have these weird tingles and numbness. Now you have this weird, these eye floaters or this feeling like your limbs are weak or you have, you know, aches and pains or burning skin or um, endometriosis or fibroids or PCOS. You'll end up finding out that there's no answers in the end and that you end up finding out that science and research completely dropped the ball for womankind. And that's what. That's why the medical medium community is the largest health community in the world right now. And because it's a safe space to, to, to actually, it's, for the, it's the largest health community in the world for the chronically ill. And the largest safe space for the chronically ill because there's answers. It's like, wait a minute. You mean my body's not attacking itself and destroying me? I'm not a bad person. I'm not at fault. I'm not... Like I don't have a terrible body. The body shaming that's happening to women is unbelievable. It's despicable. Once you say you have autoimmune and your body's destroying itself and attacking itself, your body shaming. Once you say it's your genes, your body shaming. It's discrimination in its worst way. And we sit around and we act like it's not happening and we just bow down to it. And the thing is with the medical medium information, it's about, no, we're not taking that anymore. It's why I'm up against so much opposition. It's why I'm discriminated against all the time. Well, I'm originally discriminated about hearing because I hear a voice and that voice gives me medical information. And so that's discrimination because I hear a voice. But then women are discriminated for decades. and and. 
And it's unbelievable how it's done. It's like, no, it's your genes. And then no, it's your bad thoughts. I mean, tell a 15-year-old, a 17-year-old that the reason why they're sick is because they're think because they're creating it with their bad thoughts. Talk about a new body, <laughs> like a new, like, yeah. like a new kind of like attack. And then because that's just really bad all in its own. And and then when you're when you're on your journey to heal and you think science and research has it all down, where no science and research will protect me. They have an answer. I'm going to a new doctor now. And I'm going to a new doctor. And doctors are amazing. I love that. Incredible. But they only have so much to work with. And then you find out, wait a minute, I, I don't know what I have, what's going on. I have to go to now another specialist. And now I'm at a pulmonologist. And now I'm at a psychiatrist. And now I'm at a neurologist. And that's what women go through every day. And once you find out, wait a minute, there's no answers here. Something just, you know, it, it's a it's a serious experience for people mm-hmm. and what people are going through, and it it's unfair and it shouldn't be happening. And that's why we've become the largest safe space in the world for the chronically ill now, is because people are like, wait a minute, there's answers, and I'm not the I'm not at fault. Well, that's how I felt reading your new book. To be honest, just so many different sections made me feel like okay, this is so empowering. My body is not attacking itself like I've been told. My hormones are not against me like I've been told. So I do want to talk a little bit more about hormones with you. And I know in this book, you talk about the true cause of hormone imbalance, which a lot of us in my audience, we suffer from. So if we could talk about that a little bit, what is really causing hormone imbalance and how can we get them back into balance? Well, a big part of it is our liver produces hormones, our adrenals produce hormones. And when our liver is filled up with all kinds of toxins and poisons, I call them troublemakers. And I have a whole section in Cleanse the Heal about the troublemakers and what they are. And so our liver gets these low-grade viruses sitting in there for years, or it gets a whole bunch of heavy metals in there. And heavy metals are everywhere. We all have them in us, and our liver sops them up like a sponge. And and then we're on really, really high-fat, high-protein diets. And there's nothing wrong with healthy fats. And you know, I love healthy fats and all that, but we're we're usually raised to begin with with the high-fat, high-protein diets, whether you're vegan or vegetarian or animal protein, you know, whether you're in that that spectrum too, but we're usually doing the higher fats, we burn out our liver, we burn out the liver's bile reserves. And that happens. So then we're burning out the liver's bile reserves. So then the liver can't break down fats. And then they float around in our bloodstream and they start they start clogging up organs. And then we start getting that little spare tire around us and we start battling weight. Like how come I'm battling weight? And that happens. And then um, our adrenals get worn down because we're, we have caffeine addictions, which I understand. This world's hard. I mean, I, don't not, I do not fault anybody for matcha tea and coffee drinks and chocolate or whatever. I do not because this, this world's hard. Yeah. And if you need that to get by, I completely understand 100% because between stress and between what <clears throat> we're up against, I totally get it. But what happens is we're not taught how to do something different. And all that caffeine burns out our adrenals. And we start losing our adrenal hormones. And and our, our adrenals produce a lot more hormones that research and science isn't even aware of. But it also produces sex hormones too. So our hormones 
get eaten, they just get eaten up. Our adrenals start getting weakened. And most women have their adrenals aren't equally strong. One adrenal is always weaker than the other. And that's a problem. And the adrenals have over 56 varieties of adrenaline. And that adrenaline say, so if someone say someone betrays you, like if anybody in the audience has ever been betrayed, they know what that feels like. Like that's that you can't like, oh my God, you can't like even touch that. It's so painful. And when somebody's betrayed, their adrenals actually release a different blend of hormones. And if your, your trust was broken, if anybody broke anybody's trust, or if your trust was ever broken, or somebody in the audience is, you know, and out there, if your trust was broken, that's really hard. And I'm really sorry if that ever happened because it's so hard for people. And then your adrenals produce a different blend of hormones and it starts to kind of wear them and tear them. It doesn't mean we can't take control. We can get our adrenals nice and strong, get our hormones back in action, but it's not hormones that take us down. It's these other things that like the adrenals weakening that that no one's talking about really about that end or the, or the liver actually getting clogged up and stagnant and sluggish. It's these other things. And and you know, and then different symptoms come with different viral issues that people get, and and that's another thing too. Like, like for instance, acne is streptococcus. That's bacteria. So when if you're having acne, then you have low grade strep in your system. And anybody that has acne most likely had a UTI or a bladder infection or a yeast infection or sinusitis at one time or an ear infection when they were younger or a sty or. Um, anything like this, and and what or strep throat sometime in the past, and then the strep goes dormant, but it's not dormant; it's just floating around doing things in the lymphatic system, and then you end up getting acne as years go on, caused by streptococcus. But there's there's all these things going on inside of us. There's real reasons why we struggle, like real reasons, not okay. Let's just play guessing games and 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 bait and switch people. The industries love to bait and switch women. That's what it's all about. It's let's keep them down. Let's the alternative industry loves to do, you know, loves to get women addicted, loves to get them addicted on all the caffeine. That's a big money maker. Keep women addicted on caffeine all day long. And then the industry flourishes and women are used and they're used for these reasons. They're not taught like, wait a minute, there's other ways to handle things or wait a minute, there's other things we can do to get our lives back because, you know, Addictions are big sellers. They're huge sellers. Like it's a sure sell, a guaranteed sell that will never stop. And the alternative industry is guilty of it. So guilty of it. And, but, you know, I mean, look, I can only do so much besides getting the words out there for people so they have a chance to get their lives back. But that's why a big part of why our hormones are off is from the, the caffeine addictions. Well, that makes sense. Okay, so for people who want to get their hormones back into balance, you would say definitely get off of caffeine, which I have to say has been the hardest part <laughs> of being a medical medium person. Because um, by the way, you know, I've been following your protocols for several months now and I'm feeling better than I have felt in so long. So thank you for that. That's incredible. That's amazing. Part, it's coffee. I miss it so much. It's a true addiction. I haven't had it in several months. Chocolate is harder for me to give up, but I'm trying. 
Well, you know, I, I always tell people like a little at a time, try to try to keep it where it's not, it's not, it's not ruling your life or controlling mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. I'm, I don't think anybody wants to be controlled by something. I, I don't, I don't think that's like what we want. We don't want to lose choices because we're being controlled by something. And, and that caffeine addiction that can control us. And they know that though. Like they know that out there, the industries know this. The conventional and alternative industry knows this, that they can control women and you just got to get them hooked on something. And look, I mean, I get a lot of flack for telling the truth. I get, <laughs> I get tremendous opposition for telling the truth about how we, you know, how the industry loves to control women with chocolate and the alternative industry loves to do that and the caffeine in it and all that stuff. And I get it. I get. I get stones thrown at me all the time. I mean, the pitchforks and the torches come out to get me. And then, you know, you know, because, hey, we have to stop that guy. We have to stop that guy. Don't, this guy's ruining everything because not only is he's got the largest safe space in the world for chronically ill and millions and millions and millions of books have sold around the world. Because, you know, they don't, people don't know that it's not just social media. Uh, millions of medical medium books are in country, almost every country in the world, and they go, "We have to stop him. He can't. He can't. He can't help women like this. This is wrong." <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. So, how do you deal with the negativity and the opposition? Because I know that can be hard, and I think it would be very inspiring for everybody listening to hear how you deal with it and how you would just keep pushing forward. Well, you know, I got used to the discrimination when I was young because I hear a voice and the voice gives me all this advanced medical knowledge since I was a child. And so it's, it's, I got used to that. Like I, I grew a skin with, um, with the discriminators and discrimination aspect of it. And, you know, that, that was hard. I mean, it was hard at first, but I did. And, um, and the whole thing with critics, critics are great. Critics are really awesome because critics are smart and they they actually will take their time. They'll like critics will will get a hold of Cleanse to Heal and they'll get a hold of the book or the medical meaning books and they'll actually read them and they have open minds. Criticism is amazing. I I love it. It's so important. And they'll notice the critic critics will notice it's advanced medical information. Then critics look at how many people are healing. I mean, just so, just so like, here's how crazy this is. There's no healing like the healing that has occurred with medical medium, books, and information all these years. There's no place in health that has miraculous, miraculously pulled people out of wheelchairs and got their lives back with the thousands and thousands of stories and healed the endometriosis and the fibroids and the eczema. That doesn't exist anywhere, anywhere else. And the lupus to this degree. So critics see that. And they'd be like, okay, I have to look at this guy or I have to look. He hears a voice. I have to put that aside it, because, it, it, because everything else, is, it can't be matched. So critics go, they're smart. And they go, let me look at this stuff. And they go, whoa, wait a minute here. And the results and the street cred, and that's what it is. As I had a doctor tell me, Anthony, you have street cred. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? <laughs> what is that? Definitely yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. And 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 my doctor friend was like, no, like you. I had to tell you this. I had to reach out and tell you this. You have tremendous street cred, and that's what makes it happen. I'm like, look, I'm just doing the best I can. And it was funny. And but skeptics, skeptics is a little bit. 
skeptics and naysayers that don't want to take their time to really look into it and read the book. That's different. I I just feel bad for them in general because if they knew somebody that was sick and they needed help, they just ruined that chance possibly for somebody. Because I fight for the chronically ill. Just a brief interruption from this best of the show episode to thank our second sponsor for today's show, Nourish by Nature Made. They are the number one pharmacist recommended vitamin and supplement brand. Nourish offers a monthly subscription service that is both convenient and customizable to make sure that you're getting the proper vitamin intake. Something I love about Nourish is that their packages are delivered right to your door. So their convenient subscription service can be adjusted, paused, or canceled at any time. And I think for all of us during these COVID times, it's so nice to have a subscription and not have to run out to the store every time you need a new supplement. Their packs are customized to your needs and they're very affordable. On average, their packs can cost less than $2 a day to get your Nourish vitamin intake. Visit Nourish.com, which is N-U-R-I-S-H, to take a five-minute super easy assessment quiz and receive a supplement recommendation tailored specifically to your body. Okay, thank you Nourish by Nature Made so much for sponsoring the show. Now let's head back into this episode. Yeah, that's a big shift. And it's been amazing to watch you fall in love and be so happy. And I'm so happy for you as someone who loves you. And I just, I know the love that is between the two of you. And it's also so fascinating. And I know you've talked about experiencing some racism within the royal family. And if you could talk about that, that would be so illuminating, especially for those of us who just... I just can't even imagine that. Like you're the most lovely person. And to me, to be met with that type of response, I'm sure was, was hard. Yeah. You're bringing up emotions in me now. And I'm starting yeah. to cry. We both cry. Okay. okay. I cried at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that I dealt with racism my whole life as a kid growing up being called the N word and being excluded and, having friends who are my, I thought were my best friends and then their moms telling them they can't stay, come over anymore because they lost their ring and blamed me for stealing it and then found it and then invited me back over. And it was just like so many slaps across the face. And I think also that by being harassed by police all the time and always having my father remind me of what it was like for him and the things he saw and the lynchings he saw and the, you know, and I've done a lot of internal love on myself to get to a space of accepting the reality that's in America when it comes to racial discrimination and realizing that, yes, you know, Dr. Martin Luther King, wonderful man, beautiful, brilliant spirit who has such vision to be able to acknowledge the dream that we all are capable of having, yet to create civil rights that we can be civilized, but yet the human rights that we think we have, not the human rights that is just projected from United Nations, but the true human rights as a spirit, as a living being, as an entity that's embodied in this color, in this flesh, in this biological spacesuit, has to endure daily, you know, and, and not feel like there's ever a moment where it stops. And you just feel like everything you do is met, you know, even in the wellness world, it has been so challenging navigating myself as a shaman since the early 90s, sharing shamanism with people, 
before Whole Foods was even built to any of these wellness ideas were built as a, as a part of our daily lifestyle. And then to have made peace with that and be able to, to rectify that I'm not going to be that angry guy. I'm not going to be that person who's blaming white people. I'm not going to be that person because that's only just exactly what the matrix wants. It wants me to be angry. It wants me to feel left out. It wants me to, you know, to feel these energies and use the, take that pain and really turn it into, um, to love and love more and more, the more I feel that. And so, you know, being thrown to the ground, being pulled over, having, you know, cops put guns to my back, blaming me for robbing stores that I never did just because of the color of my skin, getting scuffs on my knees because they think I did something that I didn't do, and just always singling me out because of the color of my skin. I just got comfortable with it and just dug into love even more. But being with the, in the royal family has been a challenge for me because I, the moment I went public with my relationship with Princess Marta, I mean, the, the, the consensus in Norway was that the paparazzis were the biggest on me more so than Justin Bieber. I mean, it was, I remember arriving at the airport with my nieces and running because it was so intense for me. I've never, I've never had so much scrutiny in my life. I've never felt uh, this point of my life where I had to give up my privacy. You know, like I, I can't speak about things openly anymore. I can't have friends come to my house anymore and talk freely about things unless they sign a non-disclosure. I can't go out to places without knowing that there's spies. And, you know, there's people who hire private eyes on me. I have spies that watch me. I have uh, death threats that are constantly given to me in Princess Marta. I get racial comments from Spain, from Germany, from the Netherlands, from London. I, you know, the press is always watching every podcast I go into. They see my name, they know the podcast, they go right in and listen. Uh, they go onto every IG, they watch every little thing I do. I think I'm on vacation and I'm private, and the paparazzis have rented houses near the area and have long lens range cameras, and they're videotaping everything that I do. I have to close my windows, my blinds everywhere I go because the camera is sitting there in my window trying to get a picture of me naked, trying to get a picture of me being intimate, trying to get a picture of me doing something that they can make tabloids on. Mm -hmm. And I'm in the press all the time. Every time I look at Google or I look at what's going on in English press or Spain or Mexico or whatever, there's always something written about me and Princess Marta. And I think... You know, I've learned to build a very strong inner core, Jordan, that I've never had before. I, I, I definitely had a strong core, but my disposition or my positioning on strength has changed because I had so many breakdowns. I think I even called you once and talked to you about it. I was having a meltdown. I like cried on TV. I started having panic attacks in the morning. Everywhere I went, I never had like people were just in my face and there still are, but now I've learned how to kind of like shift my perspective into just letting the paparazzis get what they want because I know it's feeding their families and I know it's, 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 there's people who are behind it that need to pay their bills. So I'm just like, here, take the picture. I'm going to stand still. I'm not going to run and look like a crazy person. But the issue that I've had within the, within the royal family, when I can't go too deep into it, but I can talk about the things that I'm open about around it, yeah. was at a royal wedding that I was at. And... Um, Every time around other royal family members or other princes and princes and kings and queens of other palaces, 
um, there's always this, I can always feel this, this stigmatism. It's like, yes, they're being polite because in the rural house, you don't really say what you really mean. You say it in a very cordial way. Like if you're irritated with someone, you don't say, you really piss me off. You would say something in regards to, well, you know, it, it seems that you um, have created quite a stir um, with everyone today. You know, and you don't say like, I'm mad at you. You say, oh, well, you know, it just seems that you are um, acting in a way that is um, unpleasant, you know, when you really know what you, what they mean. And, and so being at the Royal Palace uh, for the wedding, you know, we're in this huge castle where it's land that's like extraordinarily, like right out of the movies. And we're, you know, we're having the royal dinner and I, you know, I'm sitting across from one of the princesses. I can't say her name because it's I'm not allowed to talk about these things, but let's just say she's very um, important in the royal family, not in March's family, but in her, one of her cousins. And she's looking at me upside, up, down, sideways, like, why is this guy on this table? You know, and you can feel it. You can feel the uncomfortableness that people have. Like, who is this black man? Mm-hmm. Who is this colored man, this melanated man that is in our society? Who are you? Why? How, 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 who do you think you are? You know, and so when I was at one of the real weddings, one of the, um, and I can't say who it is, but, you know, they sat down on the table and they basically said to me, like, where did you learn your etiquette from? And I said, well, I learned my etiquette growing up as a kid in my family. And they go, oh, well, your family must be very weak. I said, well, why is my, why is my family weak? I said, well, because your family is weak, that they would have to teach you etiquette so that you can pretend to be with our, so be, you know, to be with us. Oh my God. And I said, you know, my family is quite strong actually. And I'm sorry that you feel that way. And, um, and then it went into like, isn't your family roots um, from Ghana and from West Africa? And I said, yes. Well, you know that we were sl- the first slave traders in Ghana. Like who says that? That is, you know, no, seriously, who says that? And the person was saying these things to me only to get a rise out of me so that they can get me angry and act out so they can point out, see, this person doesn't belong. Right. But because I've dealt with so much of the the racial discord in America, I've learned to garner myself this great deal of respect and dignity within myself that when, you know, it's like I always go back to Dr. Martin Luther King walking to the podium and saying that speech that changed the world and that man spit in his face and he wiped the spit from his face and said, I do believe this belongs to you and handed him the handkerchief with his own spit on it. Mm-hmm. And that's how I look at how I deal with these conflicts is that I'm not going to act out to give you the power that you've been trying to achieve by saying these very mean and very just very uh, crass and non-intelligent uh, ways of communicating to another person and not uh, with complete void of love and complete hate and malice to, to, to attack me in such a way. I'm just going to simply say, it seems that the conversation has become very stale. I'm going to retire to my quarters. And um, Princess Marta, will you accompany me to our room? And it seems to, uh, you, know, uh, you know, thank you for sharing this time with me and may you have a good evening. And I want to reach out my hand, which you know I don't shake people's hands, but you know, I did that. And he, you know, repulsed at my hand and said, I would never touch your hand or anything to do with your type of people. And was just like laughing in my face. Like, are you kidding me? Do you actually think you would ever have me touch you? And I said, well, then I bid you farewell. And, you know, that's the thing is that when you're in the royal family, you don't, it's not like, 
I'm going to be free and dance Disney and do all that kind of stuff. You know, you have to really fit into this, this certain way. And so when I think about Harry and Megan, who are, you know, Martha's cousins, uh, well, Prince Charles is Martha's cousin. So that makes her fourth cousin to Harry. Um, You know, I look at how she must have felt, you know, being this actress from LA, you know, where you're free and you say what you want to say. And then all of a sudden you're pushed into this tiny, itsy bitsy little you. And that's how I feel. Like I, I remember Martha said to me, honey, I want you to know that um, you're going to feel pressure from everything. And if it's too much, let me know. And I'm like, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. And then I felt the pressure. I lost my personality and I got put, molded into this very structural royal family member that, you know, follows the rules and does what I'm told and all these types of things. And when we finally got out of that environment, it took me a week to recover. And I started crying because I lost myself. Right. The part of myself that's the playful boy. Mm-hmm. The part of myself that likes to, to, to spontaneously go, Geronimo, <laughs> you know, and like just the fun parts of who I am. Yes. And yeah, so that has been um, a challenge. And I think also the death threats have been a challenge when people, oh. uh, you know, threaten my life and tell me they're going to look for me and find me and do these, all these, and they describe all the horrible things they want to do to me and really, you know, reporting that to the palace police and guards and really helping the palace be able to crack down on those death threats for me and Princess Marta. Mm-hmm. And then also I think the reverse racism that comes from um, the melanated, the black community mm-hmm. of who do you think you are dating a white woman um, you're disrespecting your own kind. So where is, it's at what point do we start focusing on love right. versus these, these very distorted principles that we've held so strong to that need to come undone? And I, I have a lot of respect for my girlfriend and you'll find out when you, if you speak to her, she's such an eloquent um, speaker, woman, a powerful woman um, who speaks for women's rights and against, uh, against homosexuality abuse, against anything that is anything that is affecting anyone from being able to expand their light and be who they are. And what I love about her is she's the first of the Royals to speak out on racism and take the, the arrows and knives and daggers that's been coming at her for being the first to speak out about the fact that she was born into privilege and she was born into a system where she had no idea that racism existed until she started dating me. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, I can't wait to talk to her. You guys are such a power couple. And I've just been listening so intently and getting chills and tearing up and like, you're the most powerful person I know. I I love you so much and you're so strong and it just hurts me so much to hear that you've been treated this way and to know that this exists out there, which I know is a privileged thing for me to say, to, hear, to be shocked that that exists and that happens. And it's hard. And it's also like, who can you even please? Because you're saying there's reverse racism and there's just so much anger and, and pain. And when, you, and when you talk about the person who was, who was so um, awful to you and wouldn't shake your hand and was talking about slavery, you as a shaman can see that person is full of so much pain. So yeah. to be able to see that and to still ha- to still act with such grace and strength as you do, 
I just want to commend you because that's, that's beautiful. And it's, it's, um, it's love and you always act with love and grace. And so how can we all do that with, with the divide that's happening right now and the pain in our world? What would be some tips that you have for remaining in love and unity and not accidentally pissing people off, which seems to be just what the norm right now? What would be your advice for us? So, you know, one thing I've learned in all of these things, you know, and uh, I think it becomes something that can be a great a great way for us to center ourselves is recognizing love's resilience and really being able to see love as a covering and recognizing that what you see someone doing or acting out, you, you can't really re- react to it because they're living in a different evolution than you are. And I think we forget sometimes about evolution because we get in this idea that that person should know better And that person should be kinder because that's who you are. And so we have this part of us, a part of ourselves. And it's really interesting because I, being growing up in a, um, with a lot of abuse and, and, and a lot of sexual molestation done to me and a lot of things that I've gone through in my own personal life, being bullied and beaten up at school for being the, the nerd, you know, who collects stamps and coins and, you know, loves action figures. And when I, people thought, you know, that, that, that you should be cooler than that. And, you know, whatever, because I had a Depeche Mode fan club. Okay, the point of the matter is, you know, um, or being fact that I'm, you know, I'm black and I don't listen to hip hop, I listen to country music and I listen to rock and roll and I love Metallica and like that, you know, so I got beat up a lot. And what I've learned is, is that we have a tendency as human beings to want to be loved by our abusers. We want people to accept us because we can't understand why they wouldn't if we're coming from this true place of love. Why would they see that about me? Or why would they say that to me? Or how could they do that to me? You know, so we keep wanting to go into the darkness and say, love me, love me, love me. We want to get our abusers to love us. We keep extending the olive branch and in and, and hopes that one day we can change that person to come into a place of wisdom, clarity, enlightenment, love, however we associate, you know, being woke. And I think what we have to recognize is that when we do that, we are basically insulting our own intelligence. We, we were, we're going into a space of wanting something from another person that they can't give for where they are in their evolution. Mm-hmm. So the greatest place we can do, or the greatest thing we can do, the greatest place we can be is in love's resilience. And that is the ability to keep loving without needing that brought back to you, right? That like you've become a, a surgeon of love because you're, you're a self-generating being of love which is truly the source, is truly what God is, right? That's in you. It's that, it's that everlasting love. You know, it's like, I love that in Willy Wonka, the everlasting gobstopper. It's the everlasting love, right? It's the everlasting love that no matter what you do, no matter what you say, no matter how you act, no matter how you show up, I'm going to love you. It doesn't mean you have to jump into the negative currents of their abuse, 
but it's this, I'm going to love you for where you are in your evolution. And I'm not going to take it personally or see it as an attack upon myself for not being able to get you to see my point of view or to see that I'm a good person. Mm -hmm. And, And I think that's the key. It's like, we all want to be the good person. Right. But it's not about being the good person as it's more about us being able to demonstrate uh, liberation from attaching labels and and words and conditions. And, you know, as everyone wants to be on the red, you know, wants the red side, everyone wants the blue side and everyone wants it. But I'm like, let's choose the purple pill. Let's Mm -hmm. choose. Let's choose the pill that is all about, you know, all inclusiveness and. You know, even when I see people like Deepak Chopra or Tony Robbins or any of these people, and I have a lot of respect for these gentlemen, but what I would like to see more in the, in the world of wellness and biohacking and all this stuff is the women um, leaders coming forth as the voices, you know, to also lead us. Because I see too much of the male trajectory of, of you know, that this is the male trajectory of the conscious world of biohacking, of the spirituality, of the transformational world and all these spiritual worlds and stuff. And, you know, even the other day I was looking at this whole thing and it was like black leaders who are speaking out and like Reverend Michael Bethwick is doing this thing. And I looked at all the men and like two women, there's more women in the world who have so much great intelligence to share with all of us. And I think that if we're going to truly change things, we have to stop locking ourselves up and shutting down because other people are uncomfortable. So people are going to get mad. I mean, what's new? This is the time for people to get mad. This is why all the blackout is happening. That's what I talk about in the book, Spirit Hacking. You know, people are going to get upset and they're going to get jarred and they're going to get triggered. Welcome to unsheathing the nonsense that's been sitting under the rugs for far too long. And the house cleaning has begun. And welcome to the blackout. 12 years of house cleaning for humanity and for our species to get it in a place of love so that we can thrive. And if we don't, then, hey, we, you know, then we don't. And we, we have to re- re- reestablish the, the experiment again with very little people on the planet and rebuild again from tribal structure as we did. So, you know, it's like, hey, what do you want to do? Do you want to be a person who's being affected by everyone around you and be a victim because other people are choosing to act out what they need to act out? Because a lot of people are like, I'm so angry with what's going on. You were angry before that was going on. So let's acknowledge that, right? That's so true. This was a crazy experience for me as well because I really, I was still modeling full time, but all the yoga companies were just starting to come about. And I thought, if I get my yoga certification, I'll stand out from the rest. So I went to go get my certification and I really went in there with my ego. Like, I'm a dancer. I've been studying since I was 18. I just need my stamp of approval. Exactly. Where did you get certified? Yoga Works. Cool. Yeah. Um, but my body shut down, like literally like day three. Um, and I had to, you know, I told my teachers that I just got diagnosed and my body is, you know, it's acting really weird. And I just don't know if I could do the asana practice. And of course, being yoga teachers, they said, as long as you're here, you get credit. So mm-hmm. I had to sit on the sidelines and watch my peers practice asana, which is, it was the most uncomfortable position for me to be in because again, that was the way that I communicated. Yoga was my life. Such a lesson. Such a lesson. And I think, and as you know, like 
for me, there's, there's seven other limbs of yoga and I was able to dive fully into those because I couldn't rely on the, the movement like I always had. I forgot what the original question was because oh, I, yeah. I went on a tangent. So how long oh, was yeah. it? Yeah. So um, I actually did everything Western originally because they believe if you treat it aggressively in the beginning, you have more of a likelihood to go into remission. So um, I did methotrexate, which is chemo and TNF huh. blockers, which is basically immune suppressants as well. One of the side effects is actually lymphoma. Terrifying. Terrifying. Um, and like I said, I gave birth at home naturally, never took Tylenol, never took prescription drugs, like n- nothing, like no Benadryl, no allergy medicine, like nothing. And all of a sudden I'm taking, you know, uh, methotrexate, which is basically chemo. And of course my body rejected everything. And I had every single negative side effect, you know, thank God, not, not cancer, but um, I was bleeding, uh, you know, and then the doctor said, let's just put you on birth control to regulate your cycle, even though it said on methotrexate, like you could start bleeding. I mean, just everything. The lines became blurred between the side effects of the medications and the symptoms of the disease. But I had to do that to like prove to my family, like, see, this right. doesn't work. Totally. Please help me go the holistic route. I need your support. Yeah. So, I basically spent my life savings um, up to that point. I hired a macrobiotic counselor by the name of Mina Dobik. And my entire life was regimen. And I know that you can relate to this, where what time I would eat, what time I would walk, I would do a body scrub, ginger compresses, like every single thing was, was planned out. And they said it took 90 days for your body to go from acid to alkaline. So I thought, I'm going to give myself at least 90 days. But nothing worked. Like my hands didn't work. It would take me, you know, 15 minutes just to get my elbow to my mouth in the morning. And then it would take me another two minutes to open my jaw to like brush my teeth. So I had to hire a chef to help me cook the meals um, that it took. And um, my body, I always say that the spirit... The spirit is always healed. It takes the body a little bit longer. I felt more clear than I ever had in my entire life eating that clean, no sugar, no mm-hmm. alcohol. I had, still hadn't eaten meat. Um, I would only have one green apple a week. It was very, it was very clean, but I was eating a lot of food. Um, but my body was just taking taking longer. And it was so hard. I was a single mom. I was still trying to take care of Kaleo. Yeah. It was very tricky. So my family actually intervened after about six months. They said, okay, I think you need to go back to the rheumatologist just to make sure you're okay. A lot of people don't realize rheumatoid arthritis is systemic. It's an autoimmune disease. So it not only affects your joints, but it can affect your eyes, your ears, your lungs, your heart. And by the time I went back, I had inflammation of all of those things. So she hooked me up to an IV of steroids for an hour. It was uh, the first time that I'd ever gotten steroids. And the next day I could walk with ease. I actually started running five miles a day. It was the first time that I've ever ran in my life. I was so excited that I could walk and move my body. Um, and then I did, uh, I went back on a TNF blocker for about six months and then I weaned myself off of that. And I was in remission for a couple years until, um, 
a stressful situation in my life happened and I knew exactly the moment that it happened. Really? Yeah. It just, it comes back. It came back on. I was living in survival mode. I was in between relationships and moving. And I think everybody can relate to these moments. Your adrenaline kicks in, you're in fight or flight. And all of a sudden I have to move this like six bedroom house by myself and I have a kid and I'm trying to figure everything out. And I was in survival mode for about three weeks and we moved into our new house and I finally got all the furniture into the house and I laid on the bed and I was just like, thank goodness everything is done. And I felt it creep in. It was like, I finally let go. And that's what disease does is it looks for that window. It looks for that little break in your immune system just to sneak in there. Totally. And it, and it came back. I had a huge flare up. This was a couple of years ago. Um, and then I was like, okay, what else do you have to teach me? Exactly. <laughs> and you just become open to it yeah. and the lessons that it has, even though it's awful. Yes. Um, and then how are you feeling now? So now I feel like I'm such an unusual case uh, for many reasons. I don't have like visual uh, inflammatory factors. I have the RA factor, but I don't have like any like in blood work or anything, even when I've gone to healers, like no one like can pick anything up. But from having years of chronic inflammation, my some of my joints have shifted in my hands. So that's what I'm dealing with right now mm-hmm. is um, is joint damage because, you know, the bot, it attacks your body. Right. So your joints start to get damaged. And this is kind of the time frame the stereotypical time frame that that starts to happen. So I feel amazing. My energy level's great. I'm sleeping good. I feel great. But um, I'm dealing with a, with a lot of issues with my hands. That's yeah. painful. Yeah. So I saw that you went to a doctor recently that told you that you could maybe never do yoga again if you got like a specific surgery or procedure. So yeah. what what was that? Because that sounded so scary. Yeah, that was like, it was just such a shock to my system. So my jo- I've done everything I can holistically. I even went to Columbia to get um, stem cells injected into my hands. And basically the joints have shifted. I'm going to have to have joint replacement. Like it's not something that I can spiritually will mm-hmm. to happen. Even if though only. I'm still praying yeah. for a miracle, I'm like, okay, but I don't, lit- I literally need new joints. But mm-hmm. so I went to you know, one of the best doctors in LA that was referred to me by several people. And, you know, during this time frame, it's, it's, it's a different time anyways, because, you know, we both have masks on, I can't really read his face and I'm going in there, you know, really wanting answers and hope. Like, can I have surgery? Can I have the surgery? I feel like my body is strong enough to recover and go through rehab and be stronger than I ever have been. And I was asking him about different positions that I could do. And I kind of put my hand flat on the ground and I said, will I be able to do this? And he said, oh no, you'll never be able to do yoga again. And he said it so bluntly, exactly like that. It was like somebody told me my best friend died. And the rest of me being in his doctor's office was just me trying not to cry. Yeah. And I completely, I just blacked out. I don't remember anything else that he said. Um, but basically what he was saying was, you know, I, if I would get the hand surgery, um, I would lose most of my strength and I would be limited, but I'm limited now. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, 
I'm still doing yoga, you know? I mean, my life prior to my hand uh, being the way that it is now, I was doing backbends and handstands every day. I'm not doing that, but uh, right. everything can be modified, you know? Totally. That. Yeah. I like your outlook and I think you can definitely do yoga again. That's <laughs> yeah. just the overarching feeling that I have. And yeah, I don't love that doctor's choice of words. I, I mean, to even say that to someone is just so limiting. And as Peter, who you mentioned, teaches, limiting beliefs are something that we can always bust through. Like, And if somebody says that to you and you believe it, it could be true. Mm-hmm. But if you believe that it's not true, then that could be true. So that's a hard pill to swallow and really tough, especially for someone who is such a yogi and you have like so many, just, I've seen so many beautiful images of you in backbends and handstands. I see it in your future. Absolutely. (laughs) It's so interesting because I like literally mourned for like two days after uh, I had met with that doctor because I had such high hopes that he was going to say, oh, we'll just do surgery and you'll be fine in six months or whatever. But now I have to thank him because my practice has been more intense since that doctor's meeting than it, like, it, it totally drove me. And just mm-hmm. like you said, like you have a choice and I chose not to believe him and to actually prove him wrong. Mm-hmm. So now I'm back on my practice and, you know, yeah, I <laughs> I'm love using that. it. I love that. Yeah. I see only good things. Thank you. Yeah. So with chronic illness, there's so much learning that comes from it about ourselves and gifts that we receive. And I know that you are also into all the 5D stuff and spirituality and star seeds and things that we talk about on this podcast. So when did you start to wake up to those things? Other than when you were a child yeah. and talking to spirit guides. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly it. Like I always felt different. And then I remember, you know, years ago learning about just being an empath. Um, and then when I had my son, I read books about crystalline children and everything was like, oh yeah, that's, that's, I can connect this, this makes sense. Um, and it was funny when I met my husband, he's, I feel like intuitively he's, very similar to your husband and the fact that he's a healed masculine divine. He's such a rare breed. (laughs) Yeah. And he said, he told me you're a Pleiadian. And I'm like, I'm a who? What? He told you that? He told me. I love him. Yeah. And I was like, what? And then, you know, this was like two years ago and I just started researching and it was just like, it was just like somebody saying to me, like, all of these things that you thought were so weird about you, like everything just made sense. Even chronic mm-hmm. disease, mm-hmm. like everything, <laughs> this inner drive that I feel like I have to like heal the world and yes. like, you know, all these things. I was like, it just made so much sense. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. You are so Pleiadian, <laughs> by the way. I mean, so people who listen to this podcast, most likely they have heard me talk about Pleiadians or maybe they're here because of you and they've heard you talk about Pleiadians. And it's such a beautiful thing. I had a very similar experience of, I wish it was my husband that had told me. It was more like me telling him and he was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and now he loves it and totally is like such a star seed himself. Um, It just made everything make sense. And it made me feel so relieved that to be such a sensitive 
person in the world and so sick, mm-hmm. although I try to not call myself sick, just yeah. like you, just mm-hmm. having had the sicknesses, it just made everything make sense. Mm-hmm. And it's a beautiful way to live, to be in touch with these higher realms of love and these higher dimensions. Yeah. So do you have a practice now where you channel or talk to the star seeds or anything? I mean, I think I always have. I just didn't really know what I was doing, you know. Um, but something that that I really love right now that I feel like people um, in general are all feeling on a conscious level is the more that you tune in with yourself, like especially right now, everybody's in quarantine and going through a lot of things that we're being forced to really tune in. But the more that you tune in, the more knowledge you get. It's a, it's like a decoding. So nothing that you seek is coming from the outside. We've heard that. But I never heard it put in the terms of you're actually going to get more knowledge the more you tune in. Like you're going to start decoding information. And then the more you awaken, the more you receive, and the more that you, um, you know, a lot of people on social media are talking about being woke and everybody has these different ideas about what that means politically. Oops. But coming to a state of love and and knowing that we really are all in this together mm-hmm. and in a state of peace um, and that we're all connected. But the tuning in part is just fascinating to me because like I said earlier, is I feel like having this human experience has always been really challenging for me. Like I would be totally fine just in a tree house by myself with some trees. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But I, I, I realize I have to have a job and I have to function and I have to be with my feet planted on the floor. But but the moments where I get to meditate and tune in with myself and, you know, I, I have to have those moments. Absolutely. Yeah. I can't live without it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Especially living in a city like LA because yes. we don't necessarily get all of those treehouse nature moments unless we really seek them out. Yeah. So that's important. So how did you meet your husband? I saw that you guys just got married. We did. Congratulations. Thank you. Your ring is so beautiful. Thank I'm looking you. at it. It's gorgeous. <laughs> how did you guys meet? You'll love this because I manifested him entirely. Yeah. Love. Yeah. Uh, you know, relationships was one issue, one area of my life that I never felt confident, confident in. And I think also relating back to being a starseed or however you want to phrase it is I was choosing a lot of people that, um, were broken or that I could heal or, um, falling back also on, on me being that strong, independent woman. I was getting a lot of like feminine type of men where I was being the caretaker. So I realized that I had a lot of work to do, um, right before I met my husband and I really dove in and did just a ton of work on forgiving myself for entering all these horrible relationships and practicing self-love like to an extreme. And I wrote out exactly what I wanted in a partner. And I've done that before, but this one was like so ridiculous. It was like three pages and it was so specific, uh-huh. so specific. Um, and then the most important thing was I 
I put that in a sacred place and then I lived my life at, at the highest vibration. I remember making that conscious decision because I knew whoever was going to come into my life was going to match my vibration. Mm-hmm. And I was, if I was in a state of lack, I was going to get somebody that was like broken or whatever. So I just wanted to live my life full. And I was saying yes, yes, yes to a lot of things at the time. And a friend of mine at the last minute said, I got tickets to Stagecoach. Do you want to go? I had never been to Stagecoach. And I was able to make everything work with having someone watch Kaleo. And I said this to about five people. I said, I'm going to Stagecoach to found my cowboy. Yes. I said that out loud. I didn't know what I was talking about. You totally manifested it. And then on the third day, uh, there's a three-day festival. On the third day, um, I was there with my best friend and our feet were killing us. Anybody that's been to a festival, it's like day three, your feet are killing you. And and she uh, she was quite tall as well. She's like six feet tall, taller than me. And I said, we need some six foot five cowboys to carry us home. And I turn around and two six foot five <laughs> cowboys are walking right towards us. That is amazing. And we just started laughing hysterical. And they're like, what? And I was like, I literally just prayed for you guys. And that was that was pretty much it. That was it. We just, we connected. We danced that night to Garth Brooks. Oh my God. And then he found me on Facebook and we went on like a Sunday date, which I loved. Um, he lived in Venice Beach. Sorry. We lived in Venice. He lived in Venice Beach and he said, come Sunday and just hang out with me and my friends. And I thought that was so cute. Totally. And I was just like, I knew right away. I was like, this is different. He is different. Yeah. What are the chances that he would have been walking towards you when you said that? I know. He lives in LA. He's single. Like everything that you were calling in. Yeah. It was divine. It was divine. And we've been married before. I mean, there's so much connection with us, like spiritually. Uh, I could do a whole episode on him. He is um, the most incredible human I've ever met. Not even husband. He's just such an incredible human and spirit. And he is so wise. He, he was really blessed with great parents who were woke, so to speak, but they were like in the early, you know, in the seventies and eighties, we're having like these kinds of talks, you know, spiritual talks. And so he was, he kind of got ahead of the game, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The fact that he knew about Pleiadians and knew that you were one says a lot. (laughs) He's like, I've been looking for you. Oh, (laughs) so had he ever been married before? He's never been married. And he was very picky with relationships too. He's, he was holding out he told me he was holding out for somebody that had the qualities that his mother had, you know. So beautiful. Yeah. And he seems like he gets along so well with your son, which is obviously so important. It's it's divine. Yeah. He was actually a, 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 a stepson. Oh. So that was like another piece of the puzzle. His mm-hmm. stepdad raised him um, entirely. So it's his dad. But um, I thought gosh, what a blessing. Like he knows what that's like Yeah, on that side. Yeah. You know, everything was meant to be. Everything was meant to be. So cool. Yeah. All right, guys. Thank you so much for being here. Happy early Christmas. Happy belated Hanukkah. Happy everything. Happy almost new year. I'm so grateful, like I said in the intro, to have you guys here with me on this wild ride of life. It is an honor to be here, to connect with you guys, to have this incredible connection that we do. 
It is so cool to be able to just hop on this microphone and connect with people from all over the world every single week and talk about these wild things that I tend to talk about. So today's episode, we talked to a fitness professional, we talked to a shaman, we talked to a medical medium who speaks to spirits, and then we talked to a beautiful entrepreneur, inside and out, just radiant goddess, who's also healing from chronic illness. And it's so cool to get to have conversations like that just all the time. And then not to mention the solo episodes, which I was going to pull solos too for the best of the show, but it was just too hard to kind of like go back over the whole journey. There are so many solo episodes on spirituality this year. I wanted to pull like 10 10 minutes from each one just to kind of like share with you guys, but also share with myself and show myself how far I've come. But I think those episodes are probably best off listened to as full episodes. And then I do highly encourage you guys to listen to the full episodes with Melissa, Anthony, Shaman Durek, and Jesse. All those links will be in the show notes. If you feel inspired to rate and review the show on iTunes, send me a screenshot to jordanatthebalancebond.com and I will thank you by sending you a free gift and just emailing back and forth with you, which is something that I love to do. I love to connect with you guys. So on that note, there will be another best of the show episode next week, and then it will be back to regular programming as usual. So thank you so much for being here. I love all of you guys so much. You're my family from all over the world, and I'm just so thankful. Happy holidays, sending you huge love from my heart to yours. Talk soon.